with female for a shout out by Janice on the live show, please visit www.telljanice.com. Please share this episode with your social network and help us lift women up. Join us next week for another episode of Tell Janice. Welcome to the Tell Janice radio show, where you will hear inspiring stories about life, love, and labor from amazing women to help lift you up. Now, here's your host, Janice. Thanks very much, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're listening, and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from our guest today. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you know of a fabulous female that you would like me to give a shout-out to with a few words of encouragement, acknowledgement, or congratulations, please let me know their names by clicking on the link at telljanice.com. My guest today is Rachel Braunschirl of Bark Solutions for Growth out of South Orange, New Jersey. Rachel is a dynamic seasoned business executive and entrepreneur with a proven flair for building consumer products with a particular emphasis on women-driven businesses. Rachel's going to be talking about consumer products, pharmaceuticals, and her experience in health and beauty and finding your leadership voice. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, You mentioned some of it, but I basically spent the bulk of my career uh, really focused on growing businesses, especially women's businesses, uh, starting from the tops of their heads to the tips of their toes. And I really am focused on what is the trigger for a business, a product or a service uh, to get people to want to engage in a transaction, to want to buy it, to want to use it, to want to use it again, because a business with that many customers is just a really expensive hobby. So I really focused on women's businesses my whole life. And then I had the opportunity to start and run a female sexual health company. So I also have a real focus on female health and female sexual health solutions for women, which run the range from products and services, enhancers, pregnancy monitoring, a whole range of things around enhancing women's health and giving them options. And I do all of that from the business side. So I'm not a doctor. I don't play a doctor on TV, but really from sharing the insights and communicating the insights that will drive interest in these products. I was reading a lot about that recently, and you were on Nightline. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and trying to get those products out? And you had a a little bit of a, a delay with that. Can you tell us about that? Oh, sure. So we had a product called Zestra, which still exists and is still sold, which is a patented blend of botanical oils and extracts that was clinically proven to increase arousal, desire, and satisfaction. And basically, the short story is we had money to spend on advertising and not that many places to spend it. So we were rejected by, you know, 95% of the TV outlets we went to, not just network, but cable also. We were rejected by radio stations. We were rejected by websites. And mind you, this is an environment where, you know, the ED drugs are being advertised at 5 p.m. on CBS during the Super Bowl. You know, we couldn't get our stuff on Lifetime with a very direct message focused on people are talking about something they've been thinking about for a long time, sexual satisfaction. So we didn't show body parts. We didn't have anything inappropriate. And we just couldn't get traction. And the harder and harder we tried, the more it became clear that we were fighting, you know, fighting City Hall. So I came up with this strategy that, well, if I can't buy media, I'm going to get media based on the fact that I can't buy media. 
so basically we, we started a campaign that was focused on that story about the discrepancy between male and female advertising and mm-hmm. the challenges that we faced with our message as direct as it was and how there was a disparity, again, using the same example, that Viagra would be on the Super Bowl on CBS and we couldn't get Lifetime to take our ads you know, for many months, and I don't think any 10-year-old boys are watching Lifetime at 8.30 p.m. Right. And that basically, that solution took a long time to execute. I had to go through a couple of agencies till I found a PR partner who believed it was a story, and then we were off to the races. So it was a pretty quick chronology. The story appeared about this disparity in the New York Times on a Tuesday, on Wednesday, the product was on The View and Good Morning America. And the following Tuesday, Mary, my business partner of 20 years, and I did an eight-minute segment on Nightline, uh, which turned out to be absolutely the center of our target in, to, in terms of who we were trying to reach. Inquiries wow. went up hundreds hundreds of percent. Oh, wow. points. The, the orders were bigger in terms of initial order size. We had huge increases in our retail sales at Walmart. And basically what it demonstrated is when we had a vehicle to get an important message out in an environment that women were comfortable with and men were comfortable with, that the message really was meaningful to women. Now, the average woman, whoever she is, is having um, sexual intimacy once a week. And our whole premise was, let's make that enjoyable. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, this is important. There's plenty of research that says women who have an, an active, fulfilling sex life look better and live longer, so it actually is good for you. But it's such a critical part of every relationship that our approach was, let's make this better. We're not changing the world. We can't fix relationships with a topical product, but we can help her enjoyment in this area. Well, how how long ago was that? I have a lot of questions with, with you know, have things changed today? Like when when was that? I'm curious. So that that happened in 2010. So I wouldn't call that okay. ancient history. No. Um, and we no. It, it was uh, through 2011. It was only this year that the first product ever got approved for um, female sexual response. A product that just got approved uh, in August of this year. So are the attitudes different? I would say I still bump into a general discomfort with female mm-hmm. sexuality. I write a lot about this. I speak a lot about this at conferences, on TV. I write for Huffington Post about just how different the language is and how different the messages are. So just to give mm-hmm. you one very concrete example, if you listen to any of the ED advertising, the erectile dysfunction, they mm-hmm. talk about stronger, longer, you know, four hours. It's become the most oft-repeated uh, side effect, which has really become a claim. When you talk to women about sexual response, besides that physiologically we're a whole lot more complicated, she doesn't think of sexual intimacy as a performance activity. So we're still working on developing the language around her experience. To give you another very specific example, the FDA, to to approve a product, and the product that I was working on uh, didn't require FDA approval. It was regulated as a cosmetic, which is similar, let's say, to your, your face cream. But basically, mm-hmm. for a pharmaceutical product, the way the FDA measures efficacy is 
is there a statistically significant increase in satisfying sexual experiences? Even the language feels remote. I mean, first of Mm -hmm. all, what is statistically significant and is that meaningful in my relationship or in my bedroom? What Mm -hmm. is successful? You could ask 100 women what a successful experience was and you'd get 150 different answers. Men tend to give you the same answer. A hundred men tend to all say, you know, when I have an orgasm, that's successful. But women have so many different definitions and, and so many different expectations that we're still working on the language catching up to their experience. We're definitely wired differently than men. So it's it's a different experience than it is for them. And it seems more concrete for them to come out, you know, on a male perspective, you know, how, how they would describe it than it would be for us because it's about different things. I do still feel that most of the communication is really around solving a problem because there's a lot of discomfort with mm-hmm. her enjoyment. So I, I wanted, there was an article that always struck me that I wrote about, about a lot and spoke a lot about. This is just two years ago on the cover of the New York Times Magazine section. And the title was, Unexcited, Is There a Pill for That? All about the you know huge amount of effort that's been made to develop solutions for women sexually. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons it is so complicated, as you mentioned, is because we are much more physiologically complicated and emotionally Mm -hmm. complicated. And female sexual response involves all the systems, emotional, physiological, mental, behavioral, contextual, you name it, it's involved in our response. And obviously the brain is a, a huge part of it. And the article was talking about how female satisfaction is one of the few categories where there was some discomfort about it working too well. Less therapy, and I'm quoting now, sex Mm -hmm. craze binges of infidelity. So the concept is that we don't want these products to work too well because women will be running crazy in the street, sexually charged. (laughs) You know, and and my reaction was, you know, is there panic across the world thinking about it and and making people comfortable and, and coming up with different solutions? for intimacy, for enjoyment, for relationship enhancement. So I think we're making some progress, but the general conversation still makes people, in my experience, when you talk about right. this as a business, you know, more uncomfortable than I would like them to be. Right. Well, I think with women, it's more of a, for some reason, well, we all know why, you know, it's more of a moral issue than for men to talk about those kinds of things. So. Yeah. With with all of what you've done, who inspired you to get into that business? I was always focused on the women's businesses because I'm interested, not because I'm a woman, but because I think the particular challenges of selling women or providing solutions to women for everything, hair care, skin care, psoriasis, ADD, fertility, infertility, menopause, menstruation, it just was such an exciting and constantly changing landscape for me. The way we got mm-hmm. into this business the venture capitalist handed me a business plan and said, you and Mary should look into this. This would be a good business for you. And we looked at it and for a bunch of reasons decided not to get involved at that point. There was a complex financial structure that looked very burdensome. Long story short, the asset became available, this clinically proven product that works when they're in a, in a sea of, of products that don't work or lack of options. And we said, okay, wait, this is like the perfect storm for marketing 
people. There's mm-hmm. no language around this. Here's a product that works. Women aren't talking to anybody, not their doctors, their friends, their aunts, their mothers, their partners. This is one of the few categories we've ever been in where women aren't talking to each other about it. And, oh, by the way, we have a solution. This is a perfect storm. So it was really just the expansiveness and the the challenge of building this category that got us involved when someone gave us a business plan. And, you know, go, you had mentioned about your leadership voice. Mm-hmm. We were planning on building a business, which we did. But what it turns out with some of the business challenges that we had to create a voice in this space. We had to figure out how to get our message across when traditional and non-traditional vehicles weren't available to us. Right. Do you consider yourself a pioneer? Would I consider myself a pioneer? Yeah. Is that the question? You know, I would consider myself someone who is part of fighting the fight. I think there are a lot of people who have approached female sexuality, you know, teaching women about their bodies, teaching them about different sexual options for birth control or fertility or whatever it is. I feel like I'm part of a, a long line of people who have been interested in this, and there are plenty of folks in the medical community who have been desperate for options for their patients. So I like to think I played a part and will continue to play a part in making these solutions accessible to women. Well, it sounds like you have been, and I think from a marketing perspective especially, and that's important. And that's been really exciting to create a message that was really a solution to a business challenge we didn't expect that in and of itself has created a whole conversation. Right. So even as new products get approved or new products are being developed, I'm often contacted and do a lot of work for female health startups, some funded and and some really just starting, to help them figure out how to navigate this space with consumers, with the professional community, with the media community, to figure out how you're going to get these products and services in the hands of people who they could benefit. So that Mm -hmm. I really love. That really energizes me. And I have a lot of passion around being part of solving this difficult puzzle. Well, it it sounds it sounds like you've done a lot of work and and with women and women's issues. Um I was also listening to her um broadcast and it's it was about women and equity. And you told a, a great story about going to your boss when you first started in a job and hearing that one of the men was making more than you were. Can you tell us about that? Oh, sure. This goes way back. This was my uh second job out of business school. And just through some casual conversation that I heard while women were talking in the restroom, literally, it I became aware of the fact that a peer who had literally started on the same day was making almost double what I was making. It wasn't a rounding error. Uh, and once I was able to confirm that, I armed with this material and armed with this information and armed with my review where I had been scored above him I went to the head of the office and I basically said, you know, my job here, I was doing strategy consulting, which I've done for a long time. My Mm -hmm. job here is to value goods and services in the marketplace. And based on what I understand, based on these data points, my services are not being appropriately valued. And I got an answer that if you turned it into a physical response, would have been like patting me on the head, oh, don't worry, little girl, we'll take care of you. And the answer that I got back was, well, that's not how we do things here. You've only been here a certain amount of time, and we were going to review you. You know, we were going to evaluate your salary in a couple of months. And I said, you know, that's all well and good, but we started on the same day. 
I was rated above my colleague, there's really no explanation for this salary discrepancy. And sometimes the squeaky wheel does get the grease. I would love to say mm-hmm. that the next day they um, brought my salary up to his. It took probably 60 days. But what it shows you, and I always t- uh, say this when I'm speaking to students or lecturing, the answer is always no if you don't ask. So for me, I felt like I had my facts in order. I had my performance on my side, and I went in with a lot of confidence. It doesn't always work, but it for sure doesn't work if you don't prepare, if you don't have information, and you're not prepared to respond to what the other person says. I'm one of those people, I think often people are not comfortable being in negotiations or anything they think are, any situations they feel are contentious. And Mm -hmm. for me, for whatever reason, maybe you know, because my dad's been in business and I've observed him my whole life, to me, the negotiation, that that path is almost like an aerobic activity. I happen to enjoy it. I didn't enjoy being pay discriminated, but I did enjoy being part of the solution and knowing that if I hadn't said something and if I hadn't accidentally found out, no one was going to fix that. Right. Well, you have to speak up and and be your own advocate for sure, especially in the the business world with a bunch of men. And what was the reaction to the upper management when you sat down with such confidence? What was his reaction to that? He was trying to intimidate me to say this is, he said, this is not how it's done. You know, you should wait till we approach you. And I said, with all due respect, in my experience, uh, most companies aren't sitting around uh, waiting to rectify uh, pay gaps. And I basically, I didn't threaten. I didn't threaten to leave. I didn't deliver any ultimatums because I don't think that's an appropriate strategy ever mm-hmm. <laughs> for me no. um, for the most part. But it was very clear that I had a point and I wasn't budging and I was critical to the client projects that I was on. So, you know, none of this works unless you have some value to your organization. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and it was, you know, what? some of it is, you know, being in the right place at the right time, I think I had the element of surprise on my side. Well, you did a good you job in that. You with you, the facts, yeah. You, you mentioned kind of a pat on the head, like, okay, honey? Like, you know, don't stir up trouble. And I was, you know, it was quite a long time ago. It was more than, you know, 20 years ago. So I was a whole lot younger than I am now. I don't think anyone would try to pat me on the head now. But you know, <laughs> there was a huge age difference and a huge power difference between me and the person I went in to speak to. I don't think about that all the time, but I guess it was gutsy, but I didn't think about it that way. I was just furious. Well, you definitely stuck up for yourself. Did your dad teach you that? Yeah, he had often told me stories many, many times. He had an expression that you treated everyone with respect because you would see them on the way up and on the way down. So it just was a general approach to you treat people decently. Because you don't know where they came from, you don't know where they're going, and you don't know where you're going. And he had told me a story years ago how someone who worked in the mailroom, this is how far back it went, uh, I don't think people have mailrooms anymore, came up to him. He was running a large business unit and had concerns about one of the company's investment decisions. And I remember how struck I was by the fact that he didn't just proclaim these things, there was a clear power differential between this young man who was in the mailroom and my father. And my father came home and told us the story about how he gave him an audience, how he listened to him, he treated him with respect, and he wanted to use that as an example, as he did many, many other times, about how you basically have to think about treating people decently. 
And mm-hmm. obviously everybody doesn't look at that the same way, but there are some fundamentals. You don't lie, you don't steal, you don't cheat, you don't treat people unfairly. And that's the always model, you know, in our home as well as in his work life. Well, he sounds like he was a great influence on, on your life. And you've mentioned don't lie, don't mislead people, and don't say one thing and do another. Exactly. And I do think that the point you just made, one of the most important things, I believe, for communication for anybody is that people can trust what you say. I happen to be very direct, and I don't leave a lot up for interpretation, but part of that is because I find it's more efficient. I don't want to be guessing what someone means, and I don't want them to be guessing what I mean. And I'm, I'm not, that is not always a popular approach because not everyone wants to, you know, hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But I'm always focused on communicating towards achieving a goal. So I feel like in that context, it's a little bit easier for people to take, but they know what to expect from me. I am not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to surprise people. I'm going to say what I think, and I'm going to listen to what they think. Thank you, Rachel. Can you tell us about your blog on Huffington Post? It's really interesting. It's fun. I started writing in June of 2012, so it's almost three and a half years. I've published 42 articles, and I really just love it. I I started by writing about this issue that we first talked about, which is the disparity Mm -hmm. between male and female sexuality in terms of being able to advertise. But I expanded it into a whole bunch of different areas. So I write a lot about communication, not just female sexual health communication, but what do words mean and how we use words to mean different things. I'll take something that's in the news and turn that into a blog. So one that particularly interested me. Um, So Mount Holyoke, which is, I believe, the oldest all-women's institution um, university in in the country, made two big announcements in the past year. The first one was that they were accessing transgender students, which I just read and said, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know specifically if it was they were accepting men transitioning to be women or vice versa, but I just stored it in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. Then a couple months later, there was a um, another article, because I'm constantly reading and Googling female health, female sexuality, entrepreneurship, uh, you name it. Uh, things that are around areas that I'm interested in and I think might benefit my clients. And so the second announcement was that for the first time in 10 years, they weren't going to be performing the Vagina Monologues on campus, which is a uh, Mm well-known show written by Eve Ensler that really has been performed, you know, thousands of times and with her foundation raised millions of dollars to fight sexual violence. So even if you're not a fan of the content, you know, some of what she does with the proceeds, you know, it's hard to it's hard to be against someone who's trying to eliminate violence. In any case, the university came out with a statement that said they weren't performing the show for the first time in 10 years because, and I'm quoting these adjectives, it was reductive and exclusive to present a show that included vaginas for people who identified as women but didn't have vaginas. So I take those two pieces and say, wow, this is really interesting to me, not because I know better or because I'm critical of the policy, but isn't this something that we should be talking about? That these are pretty substantial changes and movements, and so that became, you know, the dialogue around vagina monologue. There was Mm -hmm. an advertisement for, I think, Liquid Plumber. That, were, that came on in the last year that I also wrote about because it had, it was basically very sexual. I mean, it wasn't, it was as innuendoed as you can get without 
you know, talking about sex directly, but it was about plumbing. And there were images that, for me, were reminiscent of the ones that I'd first seen when I took women's studies courses in college about, you know, it's just inappropriate images of women. And the plumbing, the, the imagery did not work for me. And so I wrote an article about that on two fronts. One is, how is it okay to sexualize plumbing, cleaning your toilet bowl, but we can't talk about sex directly? You know, what has happened that the the plumber who comes to fix your toilet is made into this very sexualized person and we're making all these innuendos and references and, and presenting women and men in a very stereotypical way, but we can't have an honest dialogue about products that might work for satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So I find things that just grab my attention. You know, I'll write about lean in. I'll write about when Gwyneth Paltrow will say it's harder to be a working movie star than it is a working mom. Anything that has to do with I, uh, about communication with women in business, with leadership in general, and entrepreneurship. And I really love it, and I'm very appreciative that they continue to publish my content. Well, that's great, Rachel. Is there anything that you want to share with our listeners about your books or your your blog sites, and, and how can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. So the best place to reach me is by email, rbsherl at sparksolutionsforgrowth.com. Our website is sparksolutionsforgrowth.com. There you can find everything that I've written. We focus on the strategic work that we do, how we think about solving problems, where we're speaking, what kind of events we're going to, and generally keep people updated on the state of our business. I'm reachable at rbsherl, S-B-H-E-R-L, on Twitter, Rachel Braunschirl on Facebook. There's a thousand ways to reach me, and I would love to hear from people about what they would like me to write about. You know, what are the issues in the areas of leadership and entrepreneurship, women in business and communications that they'd like to get a perspective on? Well, we definitely share a passion for lifting up women. I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. It was great to talk to you, and I so appreciate um, what you're doing by highlighting really interesting stories and interesting people and just thrilled to be considered as part of that group today. Uh, Well, it's been my pleasure, and it's just been wonderful. And I hope to have you on the show again. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Ladies, I am so happy that you tuned in today and learned from our amazing, fantastic female guests. And I hope you recognize this as an opportunity to pass their knowledge onto your daughters and friends and share the wisdom of the ages. I'll talk to you again soon. And in the meantime, let's lift each other up, spread the love, and share an attitude of gratitude. And I'd also like to thank um, Julie Tabazon for all her help today with our guest. Thank you so much, Julie. Bye-bye. Olive Crest is a local nonprofit organization dedicated to preventing child abuse, treating and educating at-risk children, and preserving the family one life at a time. For 40 years, Olive Crest has provided safe, loving homes to at-risk youth throughout Southern California, Nevada, and the Pacific Northwest. There are many ways you can help, including volunteering or becoming a foster parent. Go to www.olivecrest.org or call 1-800-550-CHILD to learn more. That's one 800 550 Zero Child. Call today. You've been listening to the Tell Janice Radio Show. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest a guest for the show, or if you would like to nominate a fabulous female for a shout-out by Janice on the live show, please visit www.telljanice.com. Please share this episode with your social network and help us lift women up. 
Join us next week for another episode of Tell Janice. Amiga, te tengo tremendo cuento. If you switch to AT&T, you can get $300 in credits when you buy a Samsung Note 5 on AT&T Next and trade in a smartphone. Wow. Why are you whispering so much? What are you talking about? Great news. Switch to AT&T and get $300 in credits. What? Oh, are you serious? Norma, did you hear? $300 in credits when you switch to AT&T. Switch to AT&T and get $300 in credits when you buy a Samsung Note 5 on AT&T Next and trade in a smartphone. AT&T, mobilizing your world. Limited time offers. Requires port in eligible service and trade-in. Get $100 bill credit applied within 90 days and $200 trade-in credit, which may be a promotion card. Fees, other charges, and restrictions apply. See store or att.com slash summer buyback for details.